Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Coleman, sitting once again in Snake and Jake's Christmas Club Lounge in the heart of the Clempire with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, good evening to you. How are you today? I'm hanging in there. It's yeah. Temperature's dropping. It's getting a little uh, little nippy out there. Yeah, not that bad. No, no. You yeah. like that, though? You like it a little bit a little. I like Christmas. it to be really cold. Oh, you do? I like it really cold huh. as opposed to very hot. Huh, well, I'd rather that's, have it really, really cold. Well, it's interesting. Growing up in Los Angeles, it was never really cold, huh? I know. That's why I want it to be really, oh. really cold. <laughs> okay. I thought you yeah. liked the weather Well, we don't there. really have weather in Los Angeles. We have, yeah. like, you know, seasons, like fire season, uh, <laughs> sure. earthquake season, <laughs> right? The uh, murder season, Yeah, you have mudslide the, season. The, the winds, what are the Santa Anas? Santa Ana winds, but yeah. so... Uh, yeah, they'd bring uh, that's Santa Ana winds are like you know living next to a, a, a 24 hour blow dryer, <laughs> basically <laughs> just going on you constantly, <laughs> you know. But they don't last too long, it's like it's like a month or so. Okay, well, uh, man, I was in some weather yesterday. Speaking of weather, so I'm, I'm uh, coming back from this iguanas trip, you know. We uh, rode up Highway 61, the Blues Highway, they call it, up through the Delta, passed right by Pantherburn, Mississippi, uh, headed to, uh, to uh, Tav Falco. Shout out to <laughs> Pantherburns. Um, but uh, played in Fort Smith, uh, that, out there, the, the gateway to the, to the west, I guess, right on the a military o- Oklahoma base? border. No, it's an old, old fort, like uh, old back in the, in, the, in the wilderness days, you know, when Oklahoma wasn't even a state yet, I guess just a territory or something. But, uh, did you see in any Indians, Native Americans? Did there? not see any any Native Americans. Um, I mean, not not uh, in any kind of. I'm sure I saw some people that did that were Native American, but I didn't see anybody that, in any kind of organized uh, representation. Is like with the Osage Indians. Uh, oh, there's a there's a lot of a uh, lot of yeah. Native Americans in in Oklahoma for sure. Yeah, and I and that reminds me, uh, a couple of weeks ago I went and saw that movie. Oh, you did. Yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon, all the uh-huh. based on a true story about right. how they, uh, the white man, you know, knew that the natives discovered oil. So the only way to get that oil was to murder them off one mm-hmm. by one, right? Or marry into them. And I went to the theater. You know, I don't like to go out much, but you know, it's a three-hour movie. It's Martin Scorsese, De Niro, DiCaprio. I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'd, if it's a three-hour movie, I'd much rather watch it at home. You know, because I got to go to the bathroom. I cut gotta, the yard. Yeah, I cut the yard. I uh, cut the cords. <laughs> all that stuff. But then I go to the theater, the one right by my house, and I realize uh, like 20 minutes, not even 20 minutes in the movie, 10 minutes in the movie, I can't enjoy it because I'm just thinking about this guy on how he eats garbage popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> For the whole three hours, I'm sitting there trying to concentrate on this film. And he's ruined it for me because uh, he eats other people's garbage popcorn. Do you oh, know that? No. It's well, that's, disgusting. That, that, it's a disgusting <laughs> habit because he's too cheap to pay. CD credits. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a habit. It's an adaptation, Manny. And that's, uh, that's on you. I can't control what's in your mind. That's that you're, I mean, you're looking choosing at, to. You know, I'm looking at the stuff. You know, they have gar- you know, popcorn that's from the previous show. 
Okay. Half eaten. Okay. You were tempted. Vintage. 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 He, he eats corn. it. You were tempted. No, I was. I was disgusted by it. <laughs> he eats it. Well, we lived uh, through the big war. Yeah. 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 You say when you make do. Yeah. You know these things are these. What uh, war are you living through? You're not uh, living you know, through a war. <laughs> well, <laughs> attrition. You, you know, know, war of attrition. There you go. Oh there wow. Go. Okay. If you're gonna pull that card, whatever. But uh, but, but okay. so I couldn't enjoy the movie. Well, whatsoever. I appreciate you thinking about me for three hours, man. You well, didn't I was have to do that. Disgusting it is. The act of eating. It's like eating. You know, uh, you know, like it's like uh, a bird when it chews up stuff it, and then really throws it down a, the baby's it, it, mouth. It's, you know, it's really That's, not. <laughs> you know, he tries to. You know, tries to save no, face all uh, the time. What, what He's I just would, a cheap bastard what, what who won't would, buy his own bucket of popcorn. What I would say it's like, Manny, is if you go to a party and there's like uh, you know some a bowl of pretzels and you grab a, everybody reaches in and grabs a handful of pretzels, then when you come back, there's still that's pretzels yeah. that maybe someone has touched but yeah. they haven't been spitting into it they haven't been i know but know. this but see you're going to the, i'm going to the four o'clock show of, of the party and you're, you're eating the three o'clock show of the party or the two o'clock show of the party so that you don't know anyone from that party oh, right okay but okay. uh uh, anyway, I'm not trying to twist your arm and convince you to do this. This is no, I would never do uh, it. It's well, a disgusting yeah. act. I grew up, all you do is kiss it, hold it up to Jesus, and it's clean. There you go. You believe okay. in that okay, shit. Steve. Okay. All right, all right. You believe right. in Jesus. Well, hey, Zeus. <laughs> well, that's his real name. Yeah, that's what he should be called. Right. Okay, so uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, went on this trip with the iguanas. Three successful gigs. Uh, driving back south on the the Blues Highway, Highway 61. Uh, it's, it's been clear sailing all day long, a little bit of sprinkling. Now, uh, I'm driving, it, the, it gets dark, a little bit of wind, it starts whipping around, uh, lightning flashing in the distance, crazy, 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 up ahead of us, uh, someone's phone starts going off, like a, one of those really loud alert. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. You know, alarms mm -hmm. on the phone. Mm -hmm. Someone. Which says uh, our drummer is in the band, yes, uh, okay. Doug Garrison. His phone starts going off and it says, seek shelter in a basement. <laughs> I'm driving down the highway for 70 miles an hour. Going, yeah. What does that mean for me? What, what am I supposed to do? You know, it's great like, sense of humor they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, I wouldn't have even, now I'm panicked. I'm white knuckling it the whole rest of the way. You know, I'm. Mm. Doug says, you need to go faster, Renee, because we, we may be able to outrun the storm. It's coming this way. And we go, now I have to go even, I have to go fast in the high wind situation. Uh, it, was, it was a nightmare, Steve. I don't know. Anyway, so I wonder what, they're, what, what help that's supposed to be. Seek shelter in a basement when you're, I don't know. It's like the people that write those fortune cookies. I bet they get a big laugh out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I met a couple of those people. They're miserable. <laughs> anyway well and, and as this is going on i'm passing by uh you know the robert johnson museum seeing signs i'm going oh jesus i'm gonna You'll i'm gonna cut that deal right I'm gonna, there i'm brother. gonna die right right here go. on the blues there highway man <laughs> anyway i made it uh made it back i was able to outrun the storm that's good news. That's yeah, a yeah, wonderful yeah. band, by the way. Good news for Modern Man. The Iguanas, oh, thank you. I love them. I know you're... I do. I'm solidly committed to... I was telling him earlier that for 12 years, I kind of lived and worked out of New Orleans, had a little place on Esplanade in Decatur, and I never went to see him. And I had 15 friends come to the Circle Bar. you got to hear these guys. 
very literate, very intelligent music, a great music writer from New York was down here once for, and he said, you got to come see these guys. And for some reason, and I, you didn't. I got a hold of a CD of that uh, First Kiss is Free, and I'm hooked. Everything on there. Okay. And I saw the band at the Fillmore East the first time. They reminded me of that same energy and, and sense of purpose and just everything about it. Great. One wow. of my favorite bands that I've ever heard, the Iguanas. No, who is? Oh, the Iguanas. Okay. Wow, thank you, Steve. Oh, that's, that's, oh that's, wow. That's, Look at that. You've got away, glass. Man. I spilled my lunch money. Oh, right on, right on. <clears throat> Actually, I bought three of these and gave one to the music writer from New York that invited me that I didn't make it. But God, God bless you. God bless you, Steve. Well, well, yeah, uh, well, that's great for you. You made it through traffic. And speaking of traffic, yes. you know, uh, I don't know if you noticed that this is good news for you. Uh, traffic court will be closed until December of, uh, 10th. Okay. Yeah, they're going to be closed. So that's good news for you because you're always, you know, fighting, you know, uh, the traffic court. People yeah, yeah, beat, beat them the last couple of times. Yeah. So, uh, so they uh, can. <laughs> who's that? Where's Brother? my pie? Brother Dave Clements making an appearance pie, at his own his Dave own Clements. joint. Huh? Big fan, big fan, brother. How you doing? I'm Dave. Yeah, I know some Clements. Steve Lowry. I love you. Great Steve Lowry you, artist. Where's my pie? All right, all right. I'll call it's you tomorrow. Hook, get Manny's pie together. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so traffic court is closed. Okay. Yeah. Well, well. Uh, all right. But they'll they'll be. Uh, They'll be open again. They'll I think they again, said they yeah. were having uh, 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 electrical issues, uh, technical <laughs> issues. Sure. Which is, Big yellow went down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but big news today, mm-hmm. uh, and it's so funny. This is hilarious, and this is true. I'm not making this up. Sure. Uh, the Rolling Stones have announced they're going back on tour next year. The and Steel they, Wheelchair Tour. Yeah, exactly. Jesus <laughs> Well, Christ. that's a good point, because... Uh, tickets go on sale for their North American tour, uh, which starts on the in in the 2024. But tickets go on sale uh, December 1st. Okay. But if you're an AARP member, you can get tickets on the 29th. <laughs> okay. And a pair of insoles, yeah. free insoles. All right. yeah. If you have yeah. free insoles. <laughs> so, so a trust. So the, I what? thought that was hilarious. I mean, these guys are. I mean, it's ridiculous. They know their audience. What yeah, can I say? Yeah, I guess man? so. The new spot. What do they smell like when they get off stage? Depends. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, but I saw they're AARP coming. AARP is uh, a, a, sponsor. a co-sponsor. Okay, yeah, nice. It's one of their nice. sponsors, right. which is wow. great. Now, do they have AARP in England, where they're from? I don't know. I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they, well, they, they have free medicine in England. Free right, medical, right, so they don't right. need AARP in England. Everything's uh, free. Uh, maybe they get some discounts for yeah, the early bird specials know. there at the council estate know. or something. Yeah. And well, I, I saw this. They're, they're, they're going to play jazz. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say. Yeah, they were oh, out I- interviewing. Two hundred and twenty-five dollars a ticket. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Now, another thing I notice is when they show the promo shot of the Stones, uh, Charlie Watts is still in the in, yeah. the, in the photograph. Yeah, yeah they oh, need, really? to, need to tighten that up a little. Well, bit. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. Maybe they're just going to keep him in there. And now, so is Keith know? and Mick. They're still in well, the photo too. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's the California raisins really on tour. That's what basically what. It is if you ask me uh it's like one show i will not but it's going to be in my neighborhood i live right in the heart of jazz you might be able to hear it from your house uh yeah maybe 
Yeah, I, whatever, I guess. When right. I was 13, they had a Battle of the Bands at Legion Field in Birmingham, the Rolling Stones versus the Beach Boys. Wow. Uh. Beach Boys won by a point because they had matching shirts. But they, they did their set. They had the striped shirts. They were great. And they rolled this Brinks truck backwards up to the stage. And I'm sitting there with Wayne Perkins. We started a band because I, in the middle of it, Brian, Wilson, Brian Jones falls out. First man I'd ever seen fully makeuped and lipstick. And I looked at Wayne. I said, man, we got to do this. And they were great. They were terrible, but great. Yeah. Charlie was trying his best to keep... Everyone in line. He's like changes gears in the middle of a song. Yeah. Meter, who cares? But he's great because it's the dynamics, the the live stuff. Yeah. And Bill, you know... that had that frame straight up and down. Right. And they, they were terrible, but they were great. They had something. It sounded like a band. Yep. You can't teach or learn this stuff. Right. Yeah. Cool, I love Brian Wilson and all that stuff was great, but boy, those scruffy, limey bastards turned. I mean, that was it for me. I was in. That was my Beatles moment. See, I always thought Battle of the Bands should actually be a battle. And they, Where they, they throw like, down like and the start, Indians down here with the yeah, hatchets. Yeah. Like, start fucking punching each other, <laughs> kicking each other, and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. That, that tourist fun. stuff where they throw stuff. No, they used to. Yeah, I, th- I think actually in that, in that scenario, the Beach Boys would have definitely beaten the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Dennis and uh, and Mike Love with all the hostility. <laughs> yeah, they probably definitely. Yeah, uh, Keith and Mick would have been running for their lives. Ready to throw. And Charlie some. would have been under the uh, the, the rafters or whatever you call it. Yeah. You got to hand it to him. Yeah. Uh, Boy, Steve Jordan's really doing a great job. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's he's he's, he's, he's terrific. Um, well, we actually had a, a listener. Uh, call in with a correction from a piece of information we gave a few a weeks call ago. Call in? Well, uh, they messaged us and they said uh, so it was a former guest of ours, the great Ronnie Barnett from the Muffs, bass player from the Muffs, mm-hmm. said uh, on the, uh, the, uh, the Darren Hill episode, he corrected us and said uh, the, the person that took over Saturday Night Live when Lorne Michaels was gone was not Rune Arledge, but Dick Abersall. <laughs> Oh, really? Dick like, Ebersole, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, well, I think we said Rune Arledge was the no, name. No, you that, guys said it. I you, didn't you say said it. Rune Arledge, actually. I didn't say Rune Arledge. Dick was my boss. Rune Arledge did Monday Night Football, I think. Yeah, okay. AB, well, he was yeah, ABC's yeah, Wild Yeah, he was World ABC. Sports, right. He wasn't NBC. Yeah, right, was, right. Well, I know, but there was, when Ebersole took over, it was probably the, two of the worst seasons ever. Sure, sure. But anyway, yeah. Out of, his, out of his, out of his. So mid-team. Dick Ebersole was your boss, you're saying? Wild, ABC's Wild World of Sports. I did a lot of ad work for him. Jim oh. McKay and all those. Oh, they Chris Schenkel. Remember Chris Schenkel? Very well. Yeah, Very he well. was a good guy. Very I used well. to love him because he used to do all the bowling stuff. Bowling? Bowling. Yeah, bowling uh, was on, did, on ABC. Yeah, yeah, Wild World of Sports, yeah. He did the Westchester Classic, and I'm there. I was drawing Jack Nichols. And Leroy Neiman did a drawing of me drawing Jack Nicholas, and I kept it. That's going to be in my book. I was so honored. I'm not a big golf fan. Uh, no, either am I. Well, I just, you know, it, it's just not not me. But uh, yeah. anyway, yeah. Nice. But Dick Ebersole, great guy. They they really invented sports television. My son's a cameraman with ESPN, and they're doing good. But Ebersole. Uh, that whole crew that worked what with him, was, uh, Chet Forte. What was Chet Forte? Chet Forte. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was. He was Monday Night Football's yeah. director for years. Chet's younger brother wrote a play called The Fantastics that wrote that ran forever and like forty yeah. years. Yeah, I remember. I that, went to yeah. school, art school with his daughter. Oh, and that was her inheritance. Chet was Forte all. was a, a, a gambling degenerate. 
while he was doing directing these Monday Night Football episodes, he had money on these games. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Listen, <laughs> they had parties now. They, yeah. Uh, oh. You remember Jimmy the Greek? Yeah, sure. I've sat, and we were at Toots Shores one night outside the garden. Toots uh-huh. was long gone, but he was sitting in there, and you know they're betting on how many pickles in this jo- I mean, anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> going, Man, that's a Jones. No, I no, went to yeah. Vegas. I did 26 title fights in Vegas, and I, I had a stack of chips in my studio and a friend of mine a client of mine said you know your son's your three-year-old son's playing with twenty thousand dollars i didn't know they were money yeah i'm too impulsive to yeah. get into any of that but i saw people out there you know I, i'd go out on a thursday and come back on a saturday and yeah. there's this little old lady at the slot machines and she's still sitting there yeah She'd get up to go to the bathroom hopefully and she had her quart of uh, booze and a quart of quarters and she's pulling yeah and i saw this young couple that I thought there was a death in the family. They had gone for their 10th anniversary. They had lost their house, oh, car. Oh. The casino was kind enough to give them airfare home. Oh, Jesus. And I'm thinking, no, not me. You know. <laughs> no, but Chet Forty, you know, he got such such a degenerate that he got fired because he was in debt to so many people. He, and then was, he, he played the horses. Yeah, he played the horses. Yeah, OTB. Football. You remember yeah. OTB? Oh, yeah. Off-track bed? Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. It's still around. Um <laughs> And then he landed, basically he cleaned his act up, and then he landed a sports radio gig uh, in Southern California. Is he still with us? No. He, oh, okay. he, he got his shit together, and yeah. I used to listen to the sports talk, so this back in the early 90s. Okay. And he would talk these stories about Howard and Frank Gifford, yeah. and all, Dandy, all this stuff, yeah. and they were fucking great stories. Yeah. And he was finally landing on his feet. You know, he's finally getting his shit together, paying off all his, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm, dues mm-hmm, and stuff like yeah. that. And then he dies. Mm. He just dropped dead one day. He just dropped dead. What but, were the odds? Well, yeah. yeah, that's it. What were the odds, you know? Uh, you know. House always wins, that's what they say. Well, yeah. Uh, Those were great times. Uh, Jim McKay was one of the kindest, most wonderful people. Uh, who was the guy that did college football? Oh, Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson. Yeah. I did the Sugar Bowl for Tennessee when they beat up Miami down here at the Superdome. Uh-huh. Uh, and he, he bet the the AD from Tennessee if Tennessee were to win. And they, every 40 people in the Picayune picked Miami. They had Benny Testaverde. Yeah. They were going to be national champions. And I was one of two people that picked Tennessee. Uh-huh. And they did the walk <laughs> across from the hotel. Yeah. Johnny Majors, the great coach said are you are you coming in with us so i yeah. walked in with the team and i'd done a whole issue of southern living magazine painted the stadium fell in love with it up there but at the end of that game keith had to sing rocky top and they got it on video <laughs> but great times first time in new orleans ever oh. and i remember um going to uh the howling wolf i can't even remember who i saw i was down here for a week and i did all those paintings i did six paintings and about 15 drawings that week set up did the whole superdome it was absolutely incredible incredible man now we should fell get... in love with the city nice we well, got anything else manny yes i'm very excited uh that the um they announced today that the burn ban in Louisiana has been lifted. Oh, finally. And it's finally been lifted. I'm excited about that because no one was able to burn anything. And I love burning things. Yeah. Well, you should come uh, up. Uh, burn, baby, We're in burn. Kansas where they do, the farmers there do these huge quarter of a mile strip burns to 
it, it, it revitalizes the crop. Well, uh, but see, I like burning uh, houses. Oh, well, yeah, well, that's illegal in Kansas yeah. still. But see, they said the burn days. ban was over. Oh, okay. So, uh, we've so you're had back this, to it? So when they said, Louisiana says it's okay to burn things. Okay. So I'm burning cars, okay. Uh, okay. parks, okay. Uh, freeway overpasses. It's mm. just, you know, something I like to do. And bridges, as you said. And bridges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I'm happy about that. Nice. Uh, well, congratulations. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, glad we and, got uh, past that. Yeah. Burning Bridges. What yeah. a great name for a country music Yeah. Boy, but you know, that, every, yeah, Burning Bridges. <laughs> yeah, that's how, a good name. How that music has devolved. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got a lot of great friends, and I love them, and I respect them, but having to play that kind of music to make a living. You know, yeah, well, ain't, ain't what it used to be. Oh man, no, no, no it's, it's not. It's, it's not like the road gang. Not not playing that stuff, uh, country music, the way it used to was. So you got something? There? Well, I, I got what one is that, a parking one, ticket. One little, yeah, the parking ticket. I want you to to, to pay. <laughs> no, I, I got one little uh, news item. You know, these wire service sometimes they're they're amusing. This one is uh, a Tennessee man was busted uh, for DUI over the weekend while driving a motorized train for children at a parade. <laughs> Says, uh, That's this hardcore. Is, this was uh, 50 miles northeast of Knoxville mm. during the town's Christmas tractor parade when visitors reported seeing this guy, 40 years old, driving a lawnmower pulling children in carts erratically. <laughs> uh, said uh, the, he, was, he looked unsteady on his feet and failed a field sobriety test. Uh, he was determined to be under the influence, and police found a syringe, meth, and several other oh, narcotics on him. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Officials stressed that he was not a town employee. Mm. So, Tennessee's had a rough week. You know, there anyway. is an actual town in Tennessee where they've banned anyone acting gay in public. You can go to jail. Huh. I don't know what that means. Okay. Well, you better that, stay out of that town. That's Renee. what I was thinking, man. I, you know, I'm, I, 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 I bet you, Renee, that was Johnson City, Tennessee, home of the triple-filtered butterscotch moonshine, which I have had. Of huh. the amazing rhythm aces are from that town. Okay, yeah, we had I, a big party, and well, I, yeah. I want to end the story right there. Right, I knew someone I'm, I'm who a got a, a DUI in a parking lot. Oh. That's how fucked That's up cruel. he was. He, oh, yeah. I think that he was on the city council of New, in New Orleans, <laughs> right? I think he was a former councilman. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but yeah, he uh, was in a parking lot and he got pulled over for my lord for you know. Um, and it was like a Walmart parking lot, oh, or that's a Kmart worse. parking that's lot, you know. That's even worse. But uh, he's a good guy, whoever he sure, was, sure, sure. you know. Well, let's uh, uh, let's get to our guest. Huh? All right, sure. Okay, so our guest is uh, we've been trying to get him on the show for he was scheduled for almost exactly a year ago had some some complications uh he had to had to dodge the grim reaper uh managed to uh to get it all fixed up now he's back better than ever uh he's a world famous portrait artist illustrator uh, musician bass player photographer sportsman uh, lover of New Orleans, uh, studied at the uh, Art Students League of New York, uh, 
also the Portrait Society at Carnegie Hall, Society of Illustrators in New York. He uh, worked for the New York Times as an illustrator from 1970 to 1988, also uh, uh, art director for the New York Yankees baseball organization, also illustrator for the Madison Square Garden, uh, uh, worked for ABC Sports, CBS Records, RCA Records, Downbeat Magazine, Crawdaddy Magazine, Southern Living, on and on and on. We're going to get into all that. Without further ado, the great Mr. Steve Lowry. Welcome, Steve. Glad to be here, Renee. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, there's a job in advertising for you, buddy. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know. I might need that, Steve. Mm. But, uh, well, Steve, so uh, you, you were saying that, that you were telling us about the first time you came to New Orleans. So uh, you're, you're not from New Orleans. Where did you grow up? I was born in Birmingham, but I'm a strategic air command brat, so we live pretty much everywhere. My first grade of school was on an Indian reservation in Cheyenne, Wyoming, huh. where I learned how ridiculously stupid racism is. Okay. I'm just red enough the white kids would have a swing, and vice versa. Yeah. And we had 10- and 12-year-old first graders in the back of the room with a screw cap. And I've got all kind of stab, you know. But I learned, and, and, and I always had that sense of adventure. I traveled. They put me on a train from Wyoming back to Birmingham when my folks split up. My dad flew from Wyoming over Russia 28 times. Oh, man. It was and like we some kind of spy plane? Oh, yes. And oh. we weren't allowed to live on the base. Well, he was 40 miles away, so I saw him twice in one year. Then I never saw him for the rest of his life. Oh, is that because that was like CIA or something? Uh, or? Well, it was, well, they had no insignia. Uh -huh. They had no armament. They had a little pill in a pocket, and if you got caught, just take that, and you know your worries are over. Crew of five or seven, they would shoot them up. Fifty-five hours, they were awake. Shoot them up with speed. Whatever you want to call uh -huh, it, but sure. uh, you know. And I didn't know this. My brother went to see him over in uh, Savannah right before he passed, and brought his service revolver and his uniform and some photographs back. And told me the stories, and I had I didn't know, but he he was a great man, and uh, you know I think I got a little sense of adventure from him. I, I've never been, I've loved everywhere I've been. I've moved, I've been I think uh, since I was born 17 times. That I did I served my 23 years in New York and uh, Atlanta. I love New Orleans. When I, I went to New York in 68, and there was this magic. I saw the Loving Spoonful for $2 at the Café Wa. Wow. They were, they were a straight blues band. They weren't doing any of the record stuff. John Sebastian's an incredible blues harmonica player. People don't know that. Okay. Well, well, let's go back a little bit. So you're, okay. you're, you're, did you mostly go to school in like elementary school in, in Wyoming? Or no, or I went that one year. Then my mother decided this is not for her and her three sons. So uh, she put me on a train and then they came about a month later. I went back to Birmingham, stayed with my grandparents. Okay. Now, now you're, I guess, I'm assuming you've always been interested in music. Oh, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. you've always been interested in drawing. Well, we had a little 10 or 12 inch TV and I used to put wax paper on the screen and copy, uh, you know, Roy Rogers or whatever. And that was kind of my first stuff. But we had a little uh, kitchen radio and we would, for some reason, there was a blues channel and a religious channel and then a, but it, I always gravitated. I think it was WTUL. I'm, I'm, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. And then on good days, we'd get, uh, there was a, a, a network out of, a radio station out of Memphis that we could get, but it wouldn't stay in. But I heard uh, uh, all this real early rhythm and blues and jazz and 
when I moved back to Birmingham, my neighbors were all the Count Basie alumni, Cleve Eaton. Oh. Uh, 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 there was a, a, a great uh, Ellington and Basie. There must have been at least 70 musicians in their bands that came from Birmingham. Wow, no kidding. And uh, uh, just the, the history of the town. Uh, I, I did some work with uh, ARC, the American Record Company, for uh, Maurice White. And it wasn't going well. I was getting into photography because I, I had access to all this stuff. And I'm not a great photographer, but I make good pictures. I make, you know, visual. And we were talking. I said, oh, by the way, uh, 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 my neighbor says to say hello to you, Cleve Eaton. Well, Cleve had played bass, and, and Maurice had played drums on Ramsey Lewis's The In Crowd. Oh, sure. That changed the temp of the whole situation, and I got to go out and do the two tours with the Weather Report. And greatest greatest times of my life oh re really you were you're out on tour with weather report we shot the uh the uh was that when jocko was in the band oh, yeah yeah okay i spent i had a lot of time around him but there's a whole chapter on him on my book i, I took i don't know six seven hundred black and white pictures of him i've got a, a little sony walkman i have all the rehearsal with the word of mouth band he's playing steel pans with othello one minute and bass and drums and he was just uh, I was there when he got let go, and that's a whole story that I really want. I'll talk about it in the book, but he was brokenhearted over that. Oh, I'm sure. And uh, we were just in Florida. Uh, we went down for the uh, Daytona race, and we went over to Deerfield Beach, and I put some roses on his grave. He oh. really was. He wouldn't give me the time of day until he found out that the only bass lesson I ever got was from Tommy Cogbill. Okay. He came in the club one night, and I was in the house band, and uh, my musical education was from the radio show stars. When they got off stage, they'd come in and drink, hang out, and bands playing their, most of the time, their music. They'd be glad to get up and show you how the hell to play it right. Okay. And this guy comes over, and he's going, how long have you been playing bass? I said, two weeks. He said, you know what a 16th note is? I said, no, sir. He says, tell the band to play that when you go back up. He plays it. I'm going, man, you said just like the record. He said, yeah, I just did the Wilson Pickett sessions. It was Tommy Cogbill. Yeah. 16th. I know what it one is now. Okay. But uh, when I did the Dean Markley stuff with, with Rocco, he was a major Jocko fan, of course, and, to and to Cogbill. Cogbill was just, I mean, he, he played stuff 50 years ago that sounds science fiction now just yeah. incredible with all that but uh as a kid you're you're getting interested in playing music you're playing bass you start playing in bands early on yeah i sang with a band i had a real good voice until puberty and okay. with no training that ended badly i ended up going and getting a stitched up vocal cord and that that kind of but uh, our bass player got drafted and automatically the great Wayne Perkins says, you're going to play bass tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Okay. When I went the next night, and I was the only one that stayed in school, I went in the club, and all I knew about bass was E, A, D, and G, and listen to the kick drum and stay out of the way for a while. There you and go. I was trying to sing, too. Oh, so it was man. an education. We played six nights a week, six hours a night. Holy cow. And you can be worse than I am, and you're going to be some kind of musician simply from doing it. You know, and we wanted it. We, we were great. The, the first year I left the band, Wayne did Court and Spark and, and uh, 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 the Bob Marley sessions and oh, okay. the Stones, five songs he cut with the Stones. But I knew then. And, and he was kind of uh, my thinking on when my art teacher in high school 
got me a chance to go to New York. I was totally oblivious to all. She filled out all the paperwork. I was at home at my grandmother's asleep in the middle of the day, and she called me. And she said, you got a chance to go to one of five art schools you pick. So you're playing music, but you're also uh, uh, doing a lot of drawing. and, and oh, you're, constantly, you're, you're, yeah. Your talent yeah. is recognized. Yeah. Well, Wyoming, it started in Wyoming when I was four. I remember making drawings of my brothers because that was it. There was nothing. It was like living on the moon where we were. We were in a little concrete Quonset hut 40 miles from my dad. We had the little TV that worked most of the time, the little radio. Other than that, there were no trees. There was nothing to do. I think the only entertainment, we'd take my youngest brother and throw him up in the air, and he'd land about a half mile from there with the wind. And that was about it. But I, I, I remember getting... Uh, my dad, my mother would bring in shirt boards. She worked at a laundromat, and I, that was my artboard. I'd, I'd draw on it, the cardboard stuff. Uh-huh. And I just continuously drew, and that kind of made everything go away. You know how you can get right, into it right. and it becomes a part of So getting back to your dad, mm-hmm. he's in the Air Force? Yep. Okay, so you say you never saw him. He was constantly flying. They had seven minutes from when the alarm went off to be on the runway and ready to roll. Right. That's so, all I was told. Oh, uh, okay. Because it, it kind of reminds me of that movie, Dr. Strangelove, where there's B-52s constantly circling that the was Soviet That was that time. It was the Cold War. Yeah. Sure. So that's, was your dad maybe part of that, you know, where there's like a Slim Pickens kind of pilot where he's just constantly circling uh, <laughs> and they're getting refueled in the air. They don't, oh, they, yeah, they, they never that, land. Yeah, they, they never land. Like 55 hours up. Yeah. So but they're the, constantly flying. And then all of a sudden they're just waiting for that call. You remember the movie The Right Stuff? Yeah. yeah. Well, that was kind of my dad. They were cowboys. I was told through other people and my brother who went to see my dad, he was too early in the program to be an astronaut, but they all, they all, they were the hot shots. Yeah. And when they were home, they did two things that started with F. One of them was flying, and the other was he liked the ladies. And my mother just got kind of tired. That, well, that too. Yeah. But, you know, I love him. I don't know him, but I have a lot of respect for him, and it gave me a whole new respect for the military. I, I've never understood why the military takes active soldiers and sends them around the world when they got young kids. I, but my well, own, he my signed own up for it. That's the thing. Well, yeah, he was yeah. fearless. All my uncle yeah. said he was, he was the way. He picked me up. The one time he came through Birmingham, and I just remembered this, he had a 58 Chevrolet Impala convertible with a Continental kit and fender skirts, and he had a eight-track or something of Hank Williams' greatest hits, a box of Have a Tampa cigars, and a case of Budweiser. We drove down to the Florida coast where all his people were from, right. and that's one, the one and only time. Uh, okay. But he was quite a man, and I'm very proud of him and proud of Well, you never had country. to take that cyanide. That's the one good yep, thing. True. Yeah. You never, yeah. you know, they just shot him out there and said, fly and fly. If you get caught, you know, take it, you know. I, uh, my brother Ron knows all this more than me and of the however four. So you're the youngest. I'm the oldest and the smallest. They're oh, all bigger. You're the They're oldest. all athletes. They're all athletes. I'm not. I oh, had okay. a bad back when I was a kid, and, mm. you know, I, I end up at Yankee Stadium. You know, and who knows? Well, let's 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 get to that. So so you get a uh, a scholarship. Uh, you're so talented. You have your pick of scholarships, and but then you wind up going to the uh, the, the art students league. Yes. Yeah. So so coming from Birmingham, you just uh, you you take a train up there or? no my 17th birthday the day after that i'd saved up i sold my amp i bought the number three 
PV bass amp from Hartley out of the trunk of his car. Oh, wow. Zero, zero. It's in the museum, not because I'm Jocko, because he built it. Okay. But he also used house insulation, and by the middle of the third set, it starts smoking, and uh, people would applaud. They thought it was part of the show. Uh, some <laughs> pyrotechnics. I go way back, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I had a choice of, of five schools, and I walked into the league, and I smelled the paint, and just something there. And I didn't know anything about John Singer Sargent or Bell, George Bells or any. It just felt right. You know, you walk into a club, and you know whether you're going to have a good night or whether it's going to be kind of uphill battle. Okay. But yeah. this place, uh, it just was. And everybody there was a master illustrator artist my teacher my teacher was working on the poster for apocalypse now when i started my in the class yeah working on the tracings it's funny because we have a friend that was on the on the podcast early on is a, a great painter a great realist painter and he went to pratt and he was saying great school he was saying that everybody was so into abstract expressionism and that's all they wanted to do. That they tried to drum him out the entire time because he was a he was not interested in doing that. He was interested in doing realist painting, and and he had a miserable time. He he wound up leaving, learning to paint uh, from that other students. Happen. That can happen. But you had a good experience. You had good teachers. Uh, I I studied with four of the of the greatest masters at what they did. I studied with a guy that was considered so out of date, but he he, he was he painted like Velasquez. Yeah, you know the old methods of mixing the paint. Right. I studied etching with the man who taught Salvador Dali etching, Michael Ponce de Leon. But I was already starting to do work for the New York Times, and it took me a week to do, you know, you grind the stone, you do this, and it's cooking and all that. You know, and you, 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 you go through the whole process, and it can take you a month to get an image. I would take a drawing in, they'd put it on the press, and four hours later, there's six million copies of it. So, uh -huh. you know, it's not quite the same art, but no, the league was very advanced in that because they were working illustrators. Schools that do that, I used to have students from University of Alabama and University of Auburn come visit me. You know, last year they want some advice from a guy been around. And I can just about tell you where they went and who they studied with, and I don't like that. I wouldn't teach anybody to do what I do. Okay. And I'm really, to be honest, I'm a mutt artist. I have all the skill set. I studied Gray's Anatomy, but you throw all that away. If I were to draw you, it would be me and you, and everything else is, is just kind of getting away. The first assignment I went on with the New York Times was uh, I had to draw Jimmy, the actor James Jimmy Stewart, mm -hmm. and they sent me to the Pierre, and I had on my new tie and a clean shirt and all this business, and I go in, and they go, you have 10 minutes. I was there for almost an hour. He wouldn't let me leave. He loved the way I spoke, so I, and I learned <laughs> Did this. Did he answer the door naked? No, not that time. No, okay. But uh, that's later on in the. But but because he was famous for that, everyone Jimmy thinks. Stewart? Yeah, everyone oh, thinks no. he's some wholesome kind of guy. But uh, uh, I had a friend. I had a fr yeah. He was a prankster. He was exactly like you see him. And you know, guy, people, actors like that, with all due respect, they don't act. They're just themselves, and their character right, so yeah. fits the role. Well, that old, old the old studio system had that. You know that where then it died in the seventies, where actors you know had to feel. You know uh, their pain and their mother's guilt and all that stuff. But guys like Stewart and and Gable and, and Jimmy Cagney, those guys just you know uh, hit their mark, said their line, went back to their trailer. Man, my my the the head of boxing 
department at Medicine Square Garden was a guy named John Francis Xavier Condon, and I did a whole condom. Condon. Oh, okay. Like Eddie Condon. Uh, right? right, right. Anyway, Trojan Condon. He says, uh, he says, I'm going to see an old friend today. It means an awful lot to me. We got very close. He he had hooked me up to to do the Ollie work, and I spent time at Deer Lake, and it just really gave me access to everything. Plus, I had unlimited run of the garden. I did the Led Zeppelin tour. Well, yeah, we want to get into all that. So, you, so you're working at the New York Times. You simultaneously uh, uh, start working for the New York Yankees. You're you're there, uh, and you're also working for Madison Square Garden and going there and, and doing. So, so it kind of breaks down into like uh, sports, music. Yeah, uh, I, you know, people go, "Well, your career path." I, that's a joke. I think. Life presents you with something, and if you try to be smart enough to recognize this is where it's at, because I started working with the Yankees in 77, and that was the heyday of when they started winning big and there was money there. How that started is I did a full page of Yankee sketches sitting in the dugout. Can't do this anymore. Sitting in the first base dugout of the Yankees and at batting cage and all that, and the Yankees people saw them. And Rose called, and she said, uh, "This is Steve Lowry, the artist. I'm working on it." Yeah, I hope you. Yeah. Well, uh, George would like a word. So, yeah, sure. Yeah, Steinbrenner. Uh, yeah. So he goes, "How would you like to work with him?" I'm going. How late will you be at the stadium? He says, "I want to see your book as soon as possible." I said, "How long are you?" I got up, walked away from that little assignment I was doing, some drawing lawnmowers or something. Went over to the stadium, and they gave me a. Anywhere but the women's bathroom pass. I could go anywhere. Yeah. Now you, it's all CIA, you know. But it was it was great. I, I fell in love with the team. I had an uncle that played for him, and he got hurt. And Tony Kubek took his place. Jerry Neal, great ball player. But all my all my brothers and uncles were big time. My son was a one of the Southern League All Stars. I never played. I couldn't because of my back. And so I just did it my way. Same with the music. You know, people go, "Don't you miss playing music?" No, because there's people like the iguanas. I get my jollies hearing y'all, but it also inspires my work. Music is the biggest inspiration ever to me. The sports stuff was great. I loved Ali. I loved all that. But you know, when you see a Joe Zawinu or or, 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 or an iguanas or anybody, the Neville brothers. Man, that, those, those men took me in like family. I came down here, and I wanted to do a painting of them. I had gone to Tips and seen them, and I wanted to do a painting of them there. It's like Babe Ruth at Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. Neville's at Tips. Michael Smith, who was one of the people that actually turned that place into a club. Great uh, photographer. Uh, one of the greatest ambassadors of New Orleans culture ever. When he passed, he had 80,000 negatives of not just music, the church stuff, the food, the just, oh, just right. everything. He took me over. I can't remember whether it was Dots. I, I, there was an, uh, an Indian gathering. He said, I want, to, I want you to go to Super Sunday. He wanted because he, he saw how, how much it meant to me. We go over and he knocks on the door. Guy comes to the door. It looked like he'd been up for about a week. He'd been drinking the fire water and he's banging on a beer bottle. And he looked at Mike and he nodded and he looked at me and, he, and Michael goes, it's okay. He's part Cherokee. And he hands me a bottle of beer. I go in and I sit there for five hours drawing. The ceiling was sweating. Yeah. And they're sewing and banging and, you know, hunane and all this business. And I'm going, I ain't ever leaving. Yeah. This is, this is just <laughs> it. It has this... 
it, it, exactly the same feeling when I hit New York. I went to Central Park the first afternoon I was in New York, and they had a big peace rally. And aside from the fact they treated all the Vietnam vets terribly, uh, uh, I went there, and Harry Nilsson and John Lennon were on stage doing a thing, and I, you know, you're going, yeah, this is it. I felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. Oh man, and, oh uh, man, I, I loved it. Uh, New York was just. We were there. I don't know, six, seven months ago. It's just not the same. Sure. Uh, I don't think New Orleans is ever going to change. It doesn't seem to. <laughs> well, there, there's just a magic down here. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I mean, Art, Art Neville was so kind to me, and he told me stories about Booker, and you know, and and I was talking. I, I he saw a drawing I did of Adris Muhammad. Adris Muhammad introduced Aaron to Joel. They yeah. all grew up together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so there's this guy. really sense of community. And there always is around musicians. Uh, uh, I, I've never, I've never wanted to ever play again. I could play. I mean, I think I'm as good a musician, but I, I feed more off seeing y'all of bands that I like. And, and there's so many great players. Uh, I've been going over. I did a David Crosby thing over at Esplanade. Boy, he he was doing these. One one three five seven harmony things right perfect every time. You yeah, wanna, he, he he was singing better than ever, man. Up up till the end, man. I got to meet McCartney down here. Abe Laboriel's a friend of mine, and he worked it out, and that's a great story. Oh man, he kept well, calling me Stuart, and I'm going, he's a Beatle. I can't correct him. Uh, <laughs> well, man, we want to get into all this, Steve. Uh, okay. We're, we're uh, all your New York time uh, and the and the music scene up there, but uh, man, I think it's that time. Yeah, huh? we usually take a break. We okay. uh, get another round, and then the troubled nation knows what to do. So we'll be right back. Looking for my daddy inside that bar Mama said, baby, wait for me in the car Sat and let the music wash over me KPLS and KFRC Plastic silver nine-volt heart Click it on and let the music start Coleman. You are. Back with our guest, Mr. Steve Lowry. Now, Steve, I know you are a, a, a 
It's a pretty dedicated listener of the podcast, so you'll know that we've uh, had our ups and downs with uh, sponsorship, and, and currently we are uh, pursuing a, a listener-sponsored model, uh, and uh, it's, it's working out okay, you know, we got... Uh, have our listeners, they're listening all the time, and, and uh, people will uh, step forward to, to, to buy some cocktail to support the operation. And shout out to uh, recent guest Darren Hill from the Red Rockers, just uh, jumped in yesterday and sponsored a whole bunch of drinks, Manny. So we have uh, multiple drinks on, on Darren Hill. Really? Yeah. yeah I can yeah. see that happening. Yeah, yeah, he's a sweetheart, man, and and uh, you know he plays for that communist band, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The Red Rockers yeah. had a great, uh, great reunion gig. In fact, I got a text from uh, Chuck Prophet yesterday, and he said, "So, inquiring minds want to know how was the gig?" Because we had had him on before the gig happened. I said it was great, man. I saw all these old people, uh, old faces I hadn't seen in a long time. So anyway, and that's uh, where you had a list of dead people, right? There was a list of yes, in memorial. It wasn't my list. It was a list that uh, someone had had started, and then you could add names to it. It was it was really quite touching to see all these people and remember some names that that you know you hadn't thought about in a while, and and it was great to have all those people remember. Like Buddy Hackett. Buddy was Hackett. he on the list? He wasn't on the list. He really wasn't part of the New Orleans punk rock scene. Uh, but uh, you know, boy, do I have a Buddy Hackett joke, but I can't tell it. Oh, well, I have uh, many Buddy Hackett jokes. So, 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 so shout out to yeah. Darren Hill. Thank you for the cocktails, and you could be like Darren. And uh, we we do have the the PayPal and the Venmo links. Uh, those are in the show notes of every show or on the the pinned Facebook page. Do you know else. that Buddy Hackett, his house in Beverly Hills, had all these. Uh, sculptures of baby elephants. It was the most hilarious thing ever. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he, his house was right across the street from Beverly Hills High School. You know, and you could drive by every day and say, "There's Mr. Buddy Hackett." It's nice. My second wife was a singer in Las Vegas, uh-huh. and we, she, we went to see Buddy Hackett one night, and the room was full of these Italian hardware store people, and he <laughs> comes out, and I can't repeat it. Yeah. I mean, I'm going. They're going to kill this guy. I'm looking around there laughing and, you know, ter- yeah. just, and just, I mean, he went to some, him, but he some did. Some Goomba stuff around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he did He did tell one New Orleans related joke. Shall I tell it? Sure. sure why not? Okay. He, uh, this uh, prostitute walks into a drugstore to buy some Kotex. The pharmacist said, what's your flow like? She said, linoleum. What the fuck that got to do with it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a Buddy Hackett joke. Okay. Buddy, I love you. They don't make them like that anymore. Oh, man. man. Well, uh, so so again, we uh, we do have the 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 Venmo and PayPal links there. We have the uh, Troubleman Podcast T-shirts. Uh, some of your support will go to the Troubleman Podcast stickers, which there's uh, several. I'm going to bestow upon you, Steve. I don't always remember, but I I did this time. A couple of. Uh, Stickers for you and and your lovely wife Lisa Noble, who's who's here and, and noble friend and uh, a race car driver actually. Yeah. Uh, yep, yep. Decorate highly decorated oh, female yeah. race car driver. Uh, She's the superstar uh, in that right house. Here. She is. Um, really? Anyway, uh, so we have the the Troubled Men podcast T-shirts. I was which, wondering uh, who you were. You, you need to. Uh, <laughs> you need to be uh, ordering those now and available in all uh, colors and sizes, men and women's. Uh, what else? Uh, have uh, loose cattle uh, Christmas rectacular coming up at the Maple Leaf on December first. 
back to our guest, Mr. Steve Lowry. Now, Steve, so you're in New York. Uh, you're you're uh, the toast of the town. Everybody recognizes your your artistic uh, ability. Uh, you're finding yourself in all these rarefied sports environments, but, but you're also a big music fan. I've, I've I've read things about where like you're at a party with Jimi Hendrix and Norman Mailer, or uh, do I have this right? Yep, yep. Well, uh, Marty. Marty Clarewine, the artist that had done the Bitches Brew cover, had a big place downtown, and there was a an invite kind of thing passed along. My first wife w- worked in A and R at CBS with uh, John Goodman, or John, excuse me, John Hammond. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, Teo Maceo, and so I got a real in with with that. Well, how I, old the, are you, man? Seventy three. Oh, okay. I'll be seventy. <laughs> so it's Jimi Hendrix, nineteen seventy, died in seventy one, right? Uh, yes. Right, so uh, saw I saw him. Jimmy five times. Uh, the best was the, of course, the Band of Gypsies sixty nine seventy New Year's Eve show. At Fillmore. Okay, I was and how old row. were you then? Uh, when was that? Uh, I would have been, like 19, been 19 and 20. Okay, yep. But I, there was an electroharmonics showroom next to Manny's on 48th Street. Mm-hmm. And I walked by it one afternoon. So I, that's my neighborhood. Manny's okay. Record Store? No, Manny's Music, music Store. Uh, it was a big music supply. Yeah. Everybody bought there. All the bands, right, right. especially the English. But Across anyway. The street from Sam Ash, they were all there. Yeah, yeah. He, he, Sam just passed. That was very sad. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm walking down the street, and of course I knew who it was, second or third note. And I stopped, backed up, and kind of looked in the door. It was one long hallway with all these pedals that they had designed for uh, electroharmonics. Uh-huh. And Jimmy's standing with his back to the room in the corner working. So I walked in and didn't say anything out of respect. And I'd already seen him a couple of times. And, you know, there was him and everybody else. So anyway, he kind of, as sensitive a guy as he was, he kind of, he kind of turned. And I stepped back and he said, it's all right. And he was just trying out these pedals and uh, I think he used what was it the fuzz face the fuzz tone thing that, yeah, that, 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 uh-huh. that any anyway um, I took some portrait photos of him and I still have two of them I lost a lot of my work my studio house in Birmingham burned six years seven years ago mm-hmm. anyway um I saw him at the scene one night Steve Paul's club which was about the size of this room yeah traffic was playing and I'm sitting there, and I'm going to draw a Capaldi, the, the Chris Wood, all were still in the bed. And this guy comes bustling by and kind of racks the table, and I looked up, and all, I knew it was him. And it was just every night. Heroin. Um, there was a luncheonette above Steve Paul's, and I'm sitting there with Mike Finnegan one afternoon, and this little Englishman with a little strange Mike mo- Finnegan, keyboard player. Yeah. He I made got, a record with him. <laughs> man. Go ahead. What? I saw him with the Jerry Hahn Brotherhood at the Fillmore. They were on one of Bill's famous triple bills and made it a point to go backstage, and I walked up to him. And I didn't drink or do any drugs. I, I went there to work, and I walked up to him, and before I could introduce myself, I said, man, you're the white Rachel. Charles and he said I wouldn't go that far brother but we became friends then and that was 40 years ago wow I, I played on a record a green on red record oh, sweet. Uh, that, that uh, Glenn Johns produced yeah. oh, Finnegan man. was the, the B3 player Spooner oh, Oldham oh. was the piano now player now we're talking yeah. <laughs> but you wind up at, at parties with all these guys and yeah, it was there was a real sense of community. This was before the Lennon shooting and all. Everybody was just um, I saw I saw Lennon fifty times, walking through the park by himself or with Yoko. 
that show that he did with Harry Nilsson, but Harry was so out of it. I mean, they literally had to help him to the stage. He would, and he got up and he sang his ass off. Uh, and they had, I think, Klaus Vorman, uh, Keltner. It was some big benefit that they had right. in, in the sheep meadow in the park in front of 300,000 people. And it was just, it, 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 there was just a magic. It, it, the world was really a lot more innocent. The linen, the linen incident changed. My first wife and I were two blocks from there having a dinner. It was a Monday night football. I watched it on TV, and Cosell, they stopped the broadcast. And I went over and paid paid the, the counter, and by the time we walked the two blocks, there were already th- about 3,000 people there on the street. Mm. There was still blood all over the side. Well, it's like they say Altamont was the end of the 60s, and now Lennon getting killed was the end of the 70s. Yep. that changed everything. Yeah, I now mean, the 70s for a lot of people weren't that great. You know, because I think I heard an interview with... Uh, uh, Lennon before he died he said let's get rid of the 70s and the 80s are here let's hope for everything you know everything that we promised in the 60s maybe we can get back into the 80s but it never happened because uh, he got shot well when I look back on it now my the biggest blessing I had was I grew up with people like the Beatles with Ali these were world changers you know Ali as a boxer that's the tip of the iceberg Talk about that some. So, so through your association with Madison Square Garden, is that how you come to know Ali? Yep. So, yep. Yep. so uh, you know, holy cow! I don't know what that was, but uh, that's a toilet flushing. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's, you it's are about fucking the worst dive. It's a, it's about world. time somebody flushed that toilet. <laughs> um, it's long overdue. Oh, you start illustrating Tavern, doing doing bro. illustrations like and, and you're someone who d- who does uh drawing from life so yeah you know you're not necessarily taking a photograph you're usually not you're the person is moving around so you're you're kind of the official uh, madison square garden like ringside uh uh illustrator of sorts you get to know ali talk about that what kind of person well, is muhammad ali when you get to know him intimately well uh, totally unaffected by the whole star thing he he really was a godsend as far as uh, the world being a community, the, the the racist thing. I don't know much about Herbert Muhammad and that. I do know that, that he, for the last five years, he shouldn't have boxed, and he didn't win any fights. They gave him the fights right. because he sold tickets. But when I, the first, first time I went to Deer Lake, he was in his prime. He had this young boxer. He was basically teaching him how to throw a jab. Mm-hmm. That was the jab that ended his career. The kid was Larry Holmes. He was oh. making $75 yeah. a day. Yeah. And Ali was just, he was kind and gentle. But when they laced him up and he got serious, he could be, you have to be. Duran's that way. Duran's one of my dearest friends. I've got great pictures of, of Duran. I took him to meet Yankees. Uh, he wanted to meet Reggie Jackson, who was born in Panama. Okay. And they let him throw out the first pitch, and we had great, great pictures. He and Louis Tiant hung out, and we all went down to Victor's and smoked cigars. And I, it was just a, you know, he was he was bigger than the sport. So you know, R- Roberto Duran was excited about me- meeting uh, Reggie Jackson. He said he was more nervous throwing out the pitch than he was of Ray Leonard. Yeah. He told the media that. <laughs> they, they went over and Don pulls up in his powder blue royals and Duran's... Don sit- King you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and he's uh, sitting there uh, and Duran, uh, they handed him a, hat, a Yankees hat and a jacket and he was so proud of that. 
you know, I, I've seen where he grew up, and to, to have the life the he did. Is the legend true about Durant? Did he actually knock out a horse? Is that true? Knocked one down. He broke his hand, and they had to, yeah, but he's not real proud of that. He had a full-grown lion in his backyard. Uh-huh. But uh, uh, Bill Cobham wanted to meet him. He didn't make the Yankee Stadium thing, but. Billy Cobham, great yeah, drummer. the drummer. Yeah, yeah. So we went to a private party at a at a, at a great Latin music club on Lexington Avenue, and Billy and pa- the the great conga player Potato, Timbali player, conga player, and Duran played, and yeah. they had the whole band. Oh, I fell in love with that music, man. I, sure. I mean, there have been nights when it'd be. Who was the t- Duran's trainer? That old guy. He was a Freddie fa- Brown and Ray Arcel. Okay, no, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray Arcel had 82 world champions. Right. 82 oh, world no. champions. Yeah, Freddie Brown worked with Marciano. Because. Benny Leonard. I hated Sugar Ray Leonard. I could not stand Well, him. I met Sugar Ray. when Duran beat him yeah. in, in Montreal, yeah. I thought I, I was so happy. You were there. You were yeah, at that I, fight, right? I was so happy. And then, and, and Duran kept going to Sugar Ray holding his balls going suck on this kind of <laughs> <laughs> well Ray Ray was the media darling he's very yeah. good looking there's nothing wrong with that what what pissed Roberto off Roberto was getting a hundred and a half a show Leonard for his first professional fight got a million bucks because right. of TV right. well because he was a gold medalist too and that's what's wrong with it these days yeah you know, well boxing's Tyson dead Fury, now you know what Tyson Fury's getting for the Usyk fight 200 million dollars Holy the moly. Saudis that are buying everything, everyone, yeah. all, all the sports, they're, they're uh, Qatar, they're putting money in everything, every university, they're 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 uh, they're putting, go look up, go ta- look up the about, word, go look up the word sports smoothing. They're trying to show the world they're good people. Sports washing, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, yeah. I, I, I ain't playing. I, right, I, right. I love, but it's come to me. Boxing is what music and art are basically turning into they're great cultural endeavors but they're a lousy business this streaming business i don't know how the hell people make a living in the music they don't they don't we don't i have a friend and i won't (laughs) mention his name he wrote a song you know the song and he made i think close to three million mechanical rights in the good old days Mm -hmm. ascap or bmi one of the two licensed it to pandora he got a certificate. 90 days later, they had 3 million hits at 99 cents a hit. His royalty check was $28. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's, They're paying that's, that's 1 640th of a cent per $100, and they have lobbyists in Washington fighting to lower that. Right, right, right. And these poor young bands that go, hey, I want to be heard. Take our five new songs, and we'll see you later. Well, yeah, no. Well, they, they, they're six-song tanks. It, it, it's, 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 <laughs> it's a trick on stupid people. Oh yeah, man! Yeah, yeah. Um, well, well. So, so again, you, you know, you're around these giants, like uh, n- not just uh, Ali, but Joe Frazier. So, love Joe. Love so, Joe. And uh, you're you're in this milieu where you're you, you know both of these guys equally well. So you uh, talk about that when Frazier fought Ali. Well, I co- that was my first commission from the Times, and that connected me to the Garden. And the beauty of it was I could sell stuff to the Times. They were my press credential access uh-huh. and then the garden would pay me to do the advertising i did full page drawings and but so it worked out great my favorite picture of any boxer is the press conference the day before the first ollie fraser fight and joe came over and sat down beside me in the time sports section they had had the poll everybody was picking ollie mm-hmm. i'd been to both camps 
Joe was hit, hitting sides of beef. Ali right. got real, he got wound up into the media tour thing and he was out talking. And I had picked, I said, Joe, Joe will be the new champion day after tomorrow. Oh, and, and he Joe clocked came over him in that 12th round. I he was sitting him. two feet. I got blood and spit in my pad from oh. that. Oh, you should have heard it. It sounded like somebody hitting somebody with a boat paddle. Well, you he know, broke Joe let go jaw. with the left he hook. He broke his jaw. Well, when, when Joe let go with a left hook, I saw it in the gym. He was knocking five guys out a day yeah. leading up to the Joe didn't play around. You know what he did the day after the fight? Went back to North Carolina and was shelling green beans with his mother at yeah. the farm, yeah. you know, and he grew up. But this this picture is, I'm sitting there and Joe's holding my hand and he said, I can't tell you how much to know somebody believes in me. I said, Joe, one next time I see you, I'm going to have to call you champ. And he teared up and that that stuff like that. I think what attracted me to boxing was this whole... Uh, uh, Ring Lardner thing of you know you come from nothing you got nothing and you're one punch away from the greatest championship in the world and financially can change your life I've seen it go both ways right you know it's uh, but it's all in your hands it's it's, it's all in your heart okay. you know Joe won a lot of fights you know the the bottom line all these you can go a hundred different ways to describe that sport. The simplest way, and this is straight from Ray Arcel and Freddie Brown, styles make fights. Yes. You could be a much better fighter in any way than me, but if I figure out what you're, they used to call it the cadence. Mm -hmm. Certain fighters do a certain thing. Right. They just, especially if they get hit, they forget all that schooling and they go back to what they are. Tyson was that way. I saw Mike at 12 knock a 30-year-old cop out that had won the Golden Gloves three times. Mike knocked him out. Yeah. They had lied about his age. And he was 12, <laughs> and he was already a monster. I think the world of Mike, did he make mistakes? Yeah, and he owned up to them. Sure. You know? No, he. I think he's a very likable person. You know, I think I think the 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 world Don at large, King probably fucked with Tyson. Uh, well, for mind. sure. Oh, I can yeah. tell you. Is Don, Don King still alive? Yes, he's not well. I did a drawing <laughs> of him. I went to draw him. He had his office at top Rockefeller Center, right under Saturday Night Live. Okay. And I go in there, and he's got Rune Orange on one phone and Larry on another. I don't know if I get killed telling this story. What's that, Mike? He goes, uh, uh, Rune, well, I got to get six million, blah blah blah. And he, he doesn't even cover the phone up. He goes, Larry, I'm gonna get two and a half, three. He just made three million dollars. <laughs> yeah. And he looked at me, and he when he got through the conversation, he's you know, and I'm making my drawing, and I'm listening. I always try to. Just get a sense of the personality of the because that's more important than an accurate drawing. You want an accurate drawing, take a photograph. There you go. But if you can add a little something to it, anyway, he looked at me and he said, My career is based on three things wit, grit, and bullshit. <laughs> and he meant it. Now, who is this? Don, Don King. King. Don yeah. King. Okay. Hey, when, when he, one of his early fights. He showed up, went to the went to the bout with. We did the same thing with Frazier when Foreman knocked him out. Went to the fight, went got in the ring with Frazier when Foreman knocked him out. Guess who he left with? Foreman. Yeah. yeah. He's you know you're ex everything's expendable. Sure. I mean I can it's, tell you it's all. It's all transactional. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's done right, there was a beautiful 
a Puerto Rican fighter named Wilfredo Benitez. Yeah, sure. Absolute master. Well, he didn't even. He he's an invalid now. He's he's brain damaged. Ali got part of that. I never bought the Parkinson's. I bought the getting hit upside the head yeah, too many yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, CTE. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, took, too, took too many blows. But, you know, rope a dope. It's it's you're taking punishment. Yeah. I tell you one thing. I, I I remember talking to George after a boxing riders dinner, and he was kind of escorting Ali around, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, George, I have a whole lot more respect for you. He said, I learned more losing to this man than yeah. I did because he was he was the invincible thug and the gangster and all that and it gave him some humility and he's a he's a man of god he believes in what he believes in i was out in vegas and he uh, sells a really good air fryer George man he, he's done he, yeah, you wouldn't he's believe he's done well for yeah he's done so. absolutely and i love the way he named all his sons george <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't have to forget their name he never forget the name yeah yeah but keep, he's a good human simple. being and he's yes. gotten through it and he's relatively unscathed he doesn't have any physical attributes but it is a sport you don't you know you don't play around with. Right before the Leonard Duran fight in Montreal, there was a kid killed right in front of me. Yeah, you know, and it's serious business. They play uh, baseball. They play football. Yeah. You don't play boxing. No, no. Well, no. you know, my uh, parents used to love to go. Being from Los Angeles, they go to Vegas every few months, and they went and saw that fight. Where Boom Boom Mancini killed that Korean. I was fight. there. I did all the did artwork, you? the T-shirts of yeah, that fight, really, the Duck Koo Kim fight. Yeah, my parents were there. They have a, the flyer from that fight. Yeah, still, I was there. Yeah, Paul that, Gaz that had Sasson jeans owned Larry Holmes and Ray Mancini, and his people called me. He now, did it, so well selling blue jeans back in the studio 54 days. Mm-hmm. He lived in the Onassis Tower underneath Jackie. and oh, He had an 80-room apartment next to St. Patrick's Cathedral on Fifth Avenue. Oh, that's a lot of blue apartment. jeans. Holy moly. <laughs> Three whole floors. How do you, how do you live in an 80-room apartment? Yeah, <laughs> how many bathrooms? One? Well, uh, then, he went, then he went away for a long time for threatening to kill a, a bankruptcy judge. Well, you got to talk right into the mic. but oh, yeah, okay. yeah well, I, didn't, I didn't want that one out. I, okay, I, well, well, uh, well yeah, you can still hear it. Of, just because just you say it under your breath. But those, those, were, those were absolutely magic times. Man, it must know? be. Well, so, well, you know, we could talk about boxing forever because I'm a huge, I, I love boxing. I, you know, it, there's so much to talk about. But uh, just to get back to the art for a minute. So uh, when you're back still in art school, uh, you run into Salvador Dali, right? Yep. Uh, well, you tell the story. You're seeing well, him around. To, to, uh, I, I ran out of money real early in New York City, so I got a, a job in a restaurant so I could eat. And I'm going, there's a little more for me. I want. So I wanted to learn. We had 12 and 13-year-old kids in my illustration class that had access to all this information. And I'd hear them talking about... Now, did they? Sorry to cut you yeah, off. Yeah. Did they see you f- coming from Birmingham uh, as like a rube or, or sort of? There was yeah. A, yeah, and there was a couple. There was a couple of racists, but you deal with that. I mean, I, I I learned in the first grade. I ain't gonna take. Don't take the bait. Just go do your thing right, and the right, hell with right, them, and right, right. and you know, be better. Right. Okay. But um, the beauty of the league, as opposed to the other schools, the league had no grades, no certificate. You just came in. It was not really an apprentice system. But I stood and watched and worked beside and learned from, you know, five of the greatest in the world. One of my dearest friends was a guy named Richard Amzell. They're doing a documentary. He did all the uh, Indiana Jones film posters. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he's getting 150000 a year, and he did 80 of them. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he was, it was a real deal. 
I, I, in, in, I, I, I ran around with this group. I was the only straight guy, and I didn't care because these guys, the gr- one of the greatest fashion artists that ever lived, one of the, I mean, they, they, you know, they they took me to the baths one night to, to meet Bette Midler because Richard oh. was fixing to do her album cover. Oh, wow. And, okay. And it was it was great. I yeah. kept my towel on. I you know I'm I, but <laughs> Barry I, Manilow was the oh, music yeah, director. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she came out and she was. I mean, you think I got four little words? She uh. was. But I, I would just listen to these guys talk. There was a guy named George Stavrinos. This beautiful. He did the most incredible renderings. I mean, they were the kings. And then AIDS hit, and most of them were and most of them were, were gone. Oh, it was God, a terrible thing. I remember man, watching man, on TV Nancy Reagan talking about, you know, it's a gay plague. They deserve it. I'm going, you evil bitch. Right. These are my friends. These are the best of what we have to offer. Right. And they're we lost a whole gone. generation. Oh man. God, yeah, it was yeah, terrible. Yeah, and that's the demise of '54 and places like that. The Palladium. Um, uh, my claim to fame at Max's Kansas City is Maplethorpe tried to pick me up one night. Really? I was real cute. I had a stack of hair. Well, he's you know. a good-looking guy, too, right? Well, he... No, he, not so. He, he beat a girl up in there one night. Ooh, and, uh, yeah, he wasn't... He, he, right. he, he, was, he was a very troubled... Troubled. Did you troubled like his man. art, though? In the context of what it was, but there was, there was too much of the... Uh, Sideshow stuff, you know. I want to do this. It's so flagrant, you know. It overwhelmed the mastery to you to a certain degree. As as a a photographer, I mean, he's up there with Stieglitz and all. As far as the printing and all, because they had a master printer. Yeah. But the 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 subject matter, okay. But I think that's what they wanted. I remember sure. going to the Whitney, and they had this guy. He had a, a piece of sculpture called Piss Christ, and it was a yeah, big Andre jar. Serrano. Yeah, Serrano. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going, okay, but why would you want the world to know that this is your contribution? You know, I just wasn't that way. And I've done political cartoons. Well, and, here's what I would say. We're still talking about it now. That. <laughs> <laughs> but so. you know, it, it's that it it, it just uh, I don't know. Uh, you, art is such a great part of who we are. Art and music. The saddest part about it is, is our country, the our culture at this point, we're so it's 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 considered kind of a an afterthought, and it shouldn't be. Countries in Europe, I have friends in Denmark. I could go over there right now and make a good living just doing my art. The state would pay me to be there. Right. They don't have that here. You know, it's tough to go. I know uh, the Bill Ferris at the National Endowment, the Institute for Southern Culture Studies. That's who you need to talk to. We'll talk about that in a bit. All right. Great people who want to further the uh, the 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 ability for people to do shows like this and to do art. Uh, I'm pretty happy. I'm physically not. Uh, I fell in a, doing a mural out in Colorado and knocked. I had rods in my back at the mm. time. And that excavation was the fourth complete. I have 11 fusions in my lower back, three in my neck, and a plate. When they took those 14-inch rods out of my back, it took me a year. So I don't, I don't do active running around stuff anymore, but I don't really miss it. I'm working on this book, and I draw from time to time. But uh, I've said my piece. Can we get back to uh, Salvador Dali? That's where we got sidetracked. So I got a job on a Doubleday bookstore on 5th Avenue and 57th Street, uh, right across from Tiffany's, right now where the tower is for What's-His-Face. Anyway, uh, 
he came in there one night with his wife, who was his business manager, and perfect relationship. She took care of everything. All he did was keep the paints clean and work, and he did. Nice. You know, people think he's this gibberish. He speaks as good English as I do. He just, that's his kind of shield. Right. And he taught me an awful lot. Uh, he, he, he came in one night, and I went over and introduced myself. And when I mentioned the league, he used to walk around to the league for years before I was there. He uh, spent four months out of the uh, year at the St. Regis Hotel in New York. Then he lived in Port Legat in Spain. But anyway, he came in, and he asked me if I knew who Velasquez was. I said, no, sir, I'm new. So he hands me a hundred dollar Velasquez book he said this is for me wrote this beautiful signature of his in it he gave me the big candy box looking dolly book and he would come in I don't know a couple of times a week and I, they put me in art books which was wonderful and I, when I wasn't doing my work I'd be reading or studying or learning art history and all the artists and just immersed myself in it now I've seen a bunch of uh, paintings of yours where you're copying like Velasquez oh sure uh, sure painting sure so. well I, actually I had one of the last sketch permits they've just brought that that back where you could go to the Met sit down talk with them convince them you were a serious student and they'd let you make copies of the paintings yeah you know and you're not going to touch a Velasquez but it's one hell of a learning experience because you're going you know, you get the little bracelet, WW, what would Velasquez do? Yeah. And you'd see this. It reminds me of people like copying records, musicians oh, like, oh, you know, transcribing and, and playing along with records. Like I remember that night in New Orleans, McCartney was talking about, I mean, he knew Benny Spellman. He, right. You know, he did his homework. You know, there was no no incident where he came here and did all the album things and did, did it. He, he was a real student. He is a real student of music. Oh, yeah. I have utmost respect for Paul McCartney as an artist and a person. At the end of a three-hour show, and he was on stage at the Superdome the whole show. Oh, yeah. Abe LaBoreal was, I don't know, about 400 pounds. He would take a break and take off. After the show, Abe's with the oxygen mask. McCartney ran down the steps. They threw a bathrobe on him. He jumped in a limousine and rode across the river to sit up and play piano with Fats Domino till noon the next day, and the flight was at 3. That's Paul McCartney. And, you know, he's got uh, Buddy Holly's original upright bass. The guy, that, you know, just he's just he's a student of music. Yeah, and man. I hope uh, uh, when the day does come, I hope he's in the middle of an encore. Yes. You know? Yes. I'm doing sure he does, he, too. Doing yeah, what yeah, he does. I'm sure he, 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 he. And his love affair of Brian Wilson. You know, I mean, Brian Wilson's just simply it to me. I mean, he that that whole four freshman harmony that he disassembled sure. and rebuilt yep. like nobody's business. Can hear the fifth part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to, when I was 12, I wanted to be Don Everly. You know, and that's and that and right. I studied it. And the guy when that I, I was twelve, I wanted to be John Holmes. <laughs> well, you were if you were twelve, you were John Holmes. <laughs> anyway, I went to high school with uh, Pete Rugolo's son. Oh, really? Yeah, Tony Rugolo. Yeah, I went Holy to high school. Cow. We got to get him on the show. Tony. Really? Yeah, we got to try. To, yeah, it's, I've been trying. He doesn't answer my I, Tony. Um, like many people, you grew up with. Well, no, no. I think Tony, because Pete Rugolo. Financially had his ups and downs, right? And the last time I saw my friend Tony, he was living in like some one 
a dump like this in the valley. Uh -huh. And so I don't know where he is now. Right, right. He's right. tried, you know, he was a big uh, 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 musician for the uh, mod scene in LA. Okay. And uh, that's the last I heard. Did you know I, Kim Fowley out there? Sounds so familiar. Well, Kim Fowley spent a lot of time in New Orleans. Obviously, oh, Kim, really? Kim Fowley uh, from the, the Runaways, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, on yeah, and on. Yeah, did yeah. you know Kim Fowley? No, but Wayne did. Uh, okay. Did. Uh, Keith Keller, who is a, kind of a mentor of mine, close friend here, was, was close with, with uh, Kim, and Kim lived here for a time. Wow, but, uh, that's amazing. Anyway, getting back to Salvador okay. Dali. Yeah, yeah. About the fifth or sixth visit, he came in alone. He would he, mostly with Gala. They'd go out to dinner, and he'd come in, and you know he'd greet the troops. They'd let him. Th he'd let people touch the hem of the garment, yeah, kind of thing. Sure. Anyway, he came in by himself one night, and there was very few people in the store. So I went over, and I and being young and not real and pretty naive, I asked him if I could make a drawing of him. Uh -huh. and I'm going to show the old man. You know, I had already been through the. Uh, the, the man I studied anatomy with, Robert Beverly Hale, taught Norman Rockwell how to draw back oh. in the 30s. He was wow. close to 100 when I studied with him. Yeah, he, he made me leave the class. I'll tell you that later. Anyway, so Dolly goes, okay, this is the pose. He's going to throw it back at me. He says, two minutos, you know, two minutes. Uh -huh. All right, All right I've, been, I've been doing this thing. I'd already done the, the, uh, the, the, the a thousand hands in a night, stay up all night. Anyway. I drew him, and for some reason, I'm thinking, well, with his love of Velasquez, I'm going to put that figure of the great Las Maninas with the cross of Malta. The king of Spain had given Dolly that. The last artist to get it was Velasquez. They didn't give it to Picasso because he moved to Paris and became a communist. Uh -huh. Dolly told me that. Yeah. That Picasso, <laughs> he's, no, he's no good. He's a communist. Anyway, <laughs> so I did the drawing, and it's subliminal and hit. And uh, I didn't think anything of it. He was, I, I was smart enough not to say, look, ain't nothing yet. and he, would, he didn't ask to see it. About uh, a week later, uh, Andre Sabater, who was his businessman, came in the store and he says, Dolly wants to see you now and bring your sketchbook. I'm going, okay. So I go to the manager. He says, sure, take 10 or whatever. We go down to the St. Regis. Take 10. <laughs> yeah, we, we go down to the St. Regis Hotel. We go up. Dolly's sitting there working on a painting in the, in the hotel room. Uh, he did the uh, tuna fishing, the huge thing, but it was in the back. Anyway, he says, the sketchbook. So I hand him the sketchbook, and he turns to the drawing, and he looked at it, and I'm going, oh, geez, my career's, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, he's only one of the greatest classical draftsmen in history. So he goes, and he tears it out, and he looked at Sabater. And Sabater handed me a check for $5,000. He wanted it for the cover of his autobiography. Ah. And it wasn't so... The likeness was... For, for a quick sketch, i got to admit it. But it was the whole Velasquez thing and the story behind it. I'll, I'll send you a copy of it. But he was absolutely... He spoke in parables at times. There were, we were sitting one afternoon and some woman said something about, Are you, aren't you Catholic or something? And, and what are you? And he wouldn't say. And then he goes, well, the true church is in the center of the heart of the man who believes. And I'm going, there you go, man. At the <laughs> and, and the last thing he ever said to me was, no masterpiece is ever created by a lazy artist. And, uh, you know, he, he every day, same time, he would get up and he would have his breakfast and then he would paint until dark and then he would go to 
go out on the town for a little bit. He did a lot of the social stuff. I remember he came in with Alice Cooper and all, and that was all good and well. But, but he had you a don't, regular working schedule. Oh, you don't do that body of work. I mean, sure. you can say what you want. But I, 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 you know, we weren't really friends. It was more mentor, inspiration. But he never came off high and mighty. He never, because he could see this kid was hungry to learn. But did the check clear? Oh, yeah. Good okay. question. Uh, I went out and bought a nice jacket. Oh. My first really good jacket ever that I'd worn. I've worn my uncle's clothes growing up. And that wound up being the cover of his book, for yep. real. Yep. Okay. It was done in... Uh, 23 languages. I mean, they bought whole rights, and uh, I was just delighted. Had a big review, and uh, uh, I've read it or tried to read a lot of it. I can get so far, but the night of the mighty Clarewine, the the guy, the artist, he was from uh, South Africa, and he had just done the Bitches Brew. Had a big studio down on uh, Renwick, I think it was. Well, I can't I can't mm-hmm. remember. Big loft party, right? And Dolly was there. Jimmy came. I didn't. I just watched. Uh-huh. I, I didn't. I didn't make a big deal of Jimmy Hendrix retired. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was just that way. There was none of this paparazzi back then, and not not many crazy fans. I saw Lennon put up with stuff on the street, but that you know he's a Beatle. But uh, it was just a wonderful time. I think, uh, except for the Vietnam thing, I lost a good many friends over there. I should have gone, but my back kept me out. But Nam Pen had fell the first year I went home from New York to see my mother. She's, I, 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 my brother drives me from the airport home, and she's standing in the door crying, handing me my 1A. Mm. And I went down there, and they x-rayed my back every day for a week. Hoping but, it was going to get better so they could send you into the shit. <laughs> I was eating scrambled eggs and jello every morning, wishing the hell I could get back on the bus. But within the, the year of that when they left for physical, eleven of my classmates were gone. Mm. I mean, it was just, it was just useless, worthless. Wow. Yeah, all yeah. of them are. Yeah, what a you waste. Know? I yeah, mean, really, waste, really. Well, so Steve, uh, you know, we could talk forever, but uh, uh, we're kind of getting on the downslope of the podcast. So you're you're currently going through all of your six thousand plus images that you have, uh, compiling this uh, Steve Lowry illustrated book. The really lucky part about that is being in the media, I get access to a lot of files, photographs of me working, and it's provenance for the book itself. You know, anybody can say, "Well, I drew so and so." Well, here's the picture of me drawing so and so, and it was it was really I, I couldn't ask i mean my my art teacher in birmingham that went through all that work i can never ever thank her enough she just saw something there what was her name leslie willett and she was putting her husband through law school who became a uh, big celebrated judge up in uh, south carolina or virginia but she took time out of her work to do that and they had something like 150,000 students, and they picked two, and I was one of them. And it's just now, did she get to appreciate, uh, you know, all of the, what her efforts led you to? Well, she said she-, she said she did, bless her heart. I, I, it, the 23 years I was in Manhattan, it was like a week. You yeah. know, I didn't call <laughs> home. My grandmother passed who raised me, and I, I was just, I was committed to doing this whatever i was doing and looking back now i'm not proud of it but i think they appreciate the fact that i understood this i mean every time i went anywhere i remember meeting david david ogilvy ogilvy and mather Mm -hmm. they were the first ad agency to build like a billion dollars worldwide biggest the one of the great and and he's going you, you see that line right there i went on a cattle call which was you know what that is right 
there was a line of about 15 people there wanting this this particular project they were working on and two of them were my teachers and three of them were gold medal illustrator so i you, you take it very serious you know i mean i started out my first times job i spent two hundred dollars taking a train to pittsburgh to draw one of the pittsburgh steelers for a $50 drawing, but it got my name in the New York Times, and they didn't stay that way. And the last artist that did full-page drawings for the New York Times before I did them was Winslow Homer. Real. He did the Tammany Hall, and mine was sports, uh, uh, basketball, but that's that's what led to Steinbrenner. He saw that full page, you want to you work? And that was royal. Man. And I can't believe I talk to my friends now that are head photographers at the biggest magazine he said man we're allowed three feet the first inning and i used to sit in the i was sitting from here to him to billy i was sitting in the first base dugout billy they, martin i just got a picture of me drawing See, I have to figure out these names oh sorry <laughs> say billy <laughs> I, there, somebody yeah, just billy sent martin, me a picture right. sitting in the dugout drawing ron guidry the year he won the, the, the cy young nice he's a lafayette boy we were talking about coming to that benefit, the, the show, and I was going to call Ronnie and bring him and let him meet the band, but Ronnie Guidry still lives in Lafayette, wow, man. Kidding. Nice. Man, well, uh, Steve, we could talk forever, man. But, well, uh, sorry to run in circles with it. I oh, like no, that. we like it. No, we, we, <laughs> this, is, this is exactly what we do on the Troubled Man podcast. Well, I love what you do, and, and uh, I try to be a troubled man, but I've got such a good lady in my life. Uh, right. I'm semi-troubled. Well, she's, got a, she's a race car driver. Oh, yes. You should hear well, her career. Yeah, we should talk to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I, okay. We, Actually, are you busy next week? Are you, gonna, you guys going to be in here? Uh, uh, you're going to be back in Birmingham. Got to go to Birmingham. Right, well, we'll figure it out. We could do it on a hookup. Do, do you don't do any Zoom stuff yeah, yet? Yeah, we, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. We well, can she's that. really worth it. I mean, national right. champion. Absolutely. They built. Lisa Noble. NASCAR? Sports cars. What's the difference? Well, we can't uh, hear you right uh, now, but we'll, <laughs> we'll get back to, uh, to Lisa at a future okay. date. All right. Steve, thank you so much yeah. for coming on the podcast. Yeah. I'm so happy we were able to do this. And uh, as always on the Trouble Men podcast, we like to say trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. Good night, man. Thank you. Drink your liquor. Drop your pants. Take a chance and find romance when you do. When you